I really, I, I, was, I was excited about the series. I, I love any time I get to preach from a gospel. I love getting to preach about the words and the actions of Jesus. Uh, because Jesus is, is the central point, the focus of all of our faith. And then this message is one, the, the only message I think that I, I like preaching about more than, than the, about the cross is about the resurrection. Because there, there are two sides of the coin uh, on the redemption of all of us. But whenever I get to preach about the cross, I'm always very, I'm, I'm excited about that. Not because like of a, a masochistic way, but because I get to see the depth of God's love for me. I get to see that, that Jesus loved me to death. You know, we, we, say that, we say that sometimes tongue-in-cheek, oh, I love that person to death. But Jesus loved us to his death on the cross. And so for this message, when I was trying to think, like, like what am I going to title this? And I was looking at this particular passage. Jesus cries out the phrase, Eloi, Eloi, lema shabagathani, or something like that. My Hebrew is rusty. But he, he cries out this phrase, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And I think for many of us, that's a phrase that resonates in our spirits. Because we all have faced challenges. We all have faced difficulties. We all have faced pain. We all have faced suffering. And at some point, we have looked up to the heavens and we've been like, God, why is this happening to me? Why, God? Why? Why am I facing this? Why are you doing this to me? Why do I have to go through this pain? Why, why, why? Why, God? That's a pretty universal human question. And I think it shows how much Jesus understands us that he asked the very same question on the cross. Now I'm going to ask a question. If you don't raise your hand, you are lying. You can't fool me. Who here has cried? You were a baby once. You've cried. Harvey, put your hand up. Harvey. Harvey, you've cried. Put the hand up. Yeah, he was crying this morning. Yeah. Uh, emotion is a human constant. Now, I won't say who's cried in the last month or the last year, because probably the answer for most of you is you have. Now, some of us don't admit it. Some of us do it in private. If I've got to get a good ugly cry on, I like to get in the shower. No one needs to see it. But. We've, we all do it. We all hit that emotional point where, where we have hit our end. And this it has to come out somehow. We have to cry. We have to scream. We have to punch something. For, not other people. Jesus says, don't do that. But we hit that emotional point. And emotions are okay. God gave us our emotions. They're okay as long as they don't control us. And Jesus' emotions, is, if we were to go through all of what we call the Passion Week, where Jesus is, is heading toward the cross, we see Jesus emotional many times, but never do those emotions keep him from doing what God put him on this earth to do, which was to go to the cross for us. And so as we look at Jesus on the cross and his death today, I'm going to cheat a little bit. I'm going to give you guys kind of the, the main point of what all of this is. That main point today that I want us to really get in, in our souls to, is that Jesus was forsaken. 
so that you do not have to be. Jesus was forsaken so that you never have to be forsaken. So let's read this passage in the book of Mark in the 15th chapter. If you're following along at elementlife.com, this will be in, your, in the My Notes section. It says, At noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And to give you guys, in case you don't have the context here, at this point, Jesus has been beaten and Jesus is hanging on the cross to die. And it says, At three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lema shabbatani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? With some of those standing near heard this, they said, he is calling Elijah. So someone ran, they filled a sponge with wine vinegar, and they put it on a staff, and they offered it to Jesus to drink. Then they said, now leave him alone, and let's see if Elijah comes and takes him down, he said. With a loud cry, then Jesus breathed his last. The curtain of the temple was then torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus saw how he died, he said, surely this man was the son of God. And if you were in a life group this week, you would have watched a video with us where it kind of goes through the whole book of Mark and what the evangelist Mark was doing when he wrote this, sto this story about Jesus and this idea that three different points Mark really arrives at and he's challenging us to answer the question, who do we believe Jesus is? And Mark is clearly making the point that, hey, Jesus is the Son of God, the Messiah. And so here at this climax moment where Jesus is on the cross and he dies, he has even this Roman centurion, a person that Jewish people wouldn't have liked, declares who Jesus is. And so we're going to take this passage apart here, and we're going to kind of dig into different little pieces in it. And we're going to see how Jesus, we see Jesus being forsaken so that we don't have to be and then we're going to see how this passage declares that Jesus is who he says he is, God's son sent to save us. And so we're going to start in verse 33, this first verse that talks about at noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. So noon hits, Jesus is on the cross, and darkness covers everything. That's not what you want to see. <laughs> you're there, you're just there for to watch a crucifixion, and which was people did. Sounds we'll talk about it a little bit later. And just supernatural darkness covers everything. And this is actually mentioned by three different authors of gospels. In three different gospels, it, it says this: hey, at noon, everything gets dark. Jesus is on the cross, and this, this just happens. And it's there for a reason. It happened for a reason because the darkness around the cross shows us why Jesus was suffering. It shows us why Jesus was suffering, and it's not the reason that we would think. Obviously, Jesus is in intense physical pain. Crucifixion is nasty business. It's pretty much the worst, slowest way that humans have come up with and kind of a systematic way to kill people. 
But what the darkness represents was much more why Jesus was suffering than the nails in his arms and his, and his legs and hanging there and suffocating to death. What really is happening here is the darkness descends is that the Father God's presence was removed from Jesus for the first time in eternity. The incarnation of Jesus, God becoming one of us, becoming human, makes this possible, although very difficult to understand. But why Jesus is suffering here isn't necessarily this intense pain, but it's because for the first time in existence, in, in, in eternity, Jesus is separated from his Father. The sin of the world, everything wrong that you and I have ever done or anyone has ever done since the beginning of it all and that will ever happen until the end of it all is put on Jesus. And darkness covers the land. Showing this separation. And so the intense cries of Jesus that we see in this passage are more about his separation from God than they are about his physical pain. And this is a throwback. A lot of these things are, are showing parallels to things that have happened in the past in Scripture. Back in toward the very beginning of Scripture, in the book of Exodus, we see this very same idea in Egypt when Moses is bringing the people out of Egypt. And in, <coughs> pardon me. And ended their journey into the promised land because the ninth plague on Egypt was darkness. The plague that followed that was the death of the firstborn son. And so we see this same thing echoed where darkness covers Israel and then God's firstborn son dies for us. It continues on in verse 34. As the, at three in the afternoon, Jesus cries out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lema shababachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And what's happening here is Jesus expressing in words what the darkness symbolized for us. He's expressing his anguish aloud. Not anguish. He doesn't say, my God, my God, why am I hurting so much? No, the real pain of Jesus is expressed by Mark here is the forsakenness, the separation from God. You know, we all feel that. This is another part of Jesus fully experiencing what it's like to be human because before Christ, before we come to faith in Jesus, we're separated from the Father. He loves us. He wants relationship with us. But until we step into faith in Jesus, we're separated from him. Pastor Craig, would you mind getting me a bottle of water, please? Thank you. There's a separation there that we all experience. But I love something here. That it says that Jesus cried out in a loud voice. 
Sometimes when we think of the cross, when we think of Jesus being executed, it almost seems like a moment of weakness. That somehow in that moment, the creator God of the universe has become weak and is put and is put against his will up on the cross. And that is completely the opposite of the truth. I want you, if you get anything today, I want you to get that Jesus was at his strongest on the cross. He was never weak on the cross. And we see that right here because Jesus, in a death that's designed to suffocate him to death, cries out loud. Jesus is not weak in this moment. His cry is loud. And then he quotes in this. He's actually quoting Psalm 22.1, a Psalm of David, which is, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? But even in that moment, that moment of his truest suffering, where he's agonizing in his separation from the Father, our Jesus isn't weak. Our Jesus is at his strongest. He is strong even today to save you wherever you are at right now because the same strong Jesus on the cross is the same strong Jesus who can save you from your sins and your brokenness and your shame today. He cries out loud for you, not in abstraction. What he's doing on the cross is very personal. Jesus came to save us because he loves us. And it says again, uh, to kind of quote a couple of the Gospels, that this is a, a, a kind of a big idea. Matthew 27, 50, in the same moment, he's writing about the same story. It says, when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. And then John 19, and John, as we're going to learn in our life groups, John's kind of the different gospel. It's the oddball gospel. Uh, the first three are called synoptics. They're kind of the same uh, they, 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 they tell a lot of the same stories in different ways, but John is telling a very different narrative. And John records it this way. Jesus said, it is finished. That cry, that loud cry we're reading about in Mark is what John records that word for word. Jesus says, it is finished in a loud voice. And it says, he bows his head and gave up his spirit. And when we read all of this, I want you to understand this. Jesus was never weak on the cross because we see right here that Jesus chose the moment of his death. Jesus chooses it. He bows his head and he gives up his spirit. He gives it up. He do, we don't take it from him. He willingly dies. Everything that Jesus does on the cross is voluntary because he loves you. He loves me. And I, that's why I think sometimes we get the cross wrong. Sometimes we get the cross wrong and, and, we, and we see it as this series of events that Jesus is forced into. But at every step, Jesus goes willingly to die 
even to the moment of his death. In fact, it was so shocking that later on Mark records that Pilate was confused because Jesus shouldn't have been dead yet. Pilate's like, what? No, it usually takes three days for people to die on a cross. And Jesus dies very quickly because he chooses his moment of death. And that's why the cross shows not weakness, but the cross actually shows the strength and power of Jesus, that even when he went to the cross to be forsaken and to die for us, we never dictated a thing. He chose to die. He chose to give up his spirit so that you could have eternal life. So that that separation from the Father that Jesus experiences, Jesus doesn't want you to be separated from the Father. Jesus wants you to know him and to be loved by him and to live with him for eternity. And so he gives up his spirit to death in his moment of being forsaken by the Father. When I think about this, kind of in a, in a practical way, the depth of love that Jesus shows here, for those of us who are Christians, who have received the grace of this action, how petty it makes me feel sometimes when I realize how I react to other people. This is the depth of love that Jesus had for us. He tells us that we're to show that same love to everyone else around us. And somebody says something snippy to us at work, and we're like, I'm never going to talk to that person again. A family member does something we don't like, uh, Never mind, I'm not going to deal with them anymore. We're, we're to live up, church, to this example of love. This is our example. This is our standard of love. We willingly go to the cross to die. Another way that it's said in Scripture, it's a little less violent, we consider others better than ourselves. So when we're planning things, when we're thinking about how our day is going to go, when we're at work, at school, whatever life takes us, everyone around us, even and especially the people who hate us or we don't like, we're to consider as more important than us. Because those same people, Jesus wants to know them. Jesus went to the cross and was forsaken so that they wouldn't have to be. So how we treat them matters. Oh, I'm way off my notes. Where am I? All right. The cross, this moment, in Scripture. Again, I told you we cheated earlier. This is the truth. He chose to be forsaken so that you would never have to be. And so it goes on, and it says, When some of those standing near heard this, they said, Listen, he's calling Elijah. Kind of a weird segue, right? Well, Elijah was 
was kind of known in this ancient in ancient Israel was Elijah was a deliverer in his ministry. So saying that he's crying out to Elijah because Elijah is someone who delivers people from their pain. And them saying this was kind of a sign of the there's a crowd watching here, the crowd watching Jesus die, and they were confused because Jesus is dying, and it's too soon. The crucifixions were supposed to provide days of entertainment to the crowds. And basically here, they're kind of mocking him. And they're kind of upset because they want him to stay alive for their entertainment. And it goes on, and this is what happens next. It says in verse 36, that someone ran, they filled a sponge with wine vinegar, put it on a staff, and offered it to Jesus to drink. Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to take him down. Kind of a mocking statement. But the crowd is trying to prolong his life. They're trying to keep their entertainment. Which, that's brutal, right? As I say that, doesn't that feel like sick? He chose to be forsaken so that those people mocking him would never have to be. On the cross, Jesus' saving work, he was doing it as much as he, he went to the cross for you, he was doing it for those very same people that were mocking him. That's why at Element Church we take grace very seriously. That's why we don't think that anyone is too far gone. Because even in the moment of Jesus' death, the people who were mocking him and trying to keep him alive longer so that they could watch him suffer. Jesus loved those people. Again, a high challenge for you and me. Because those same people in our lives, the people who glory when we fail, Jesus calls us to love them in the same way that he did. Then it goes on to say in verse 37, with a loud cry, Jesus breathes his last. And here is the moment where Jesus willingly dies. This loud cry is not the last gasp of an exhausted man, but instead as Jesus chooses the moment of his death, he cries out in victory. He cries out in victory because he has accomplished what the Father sent him on earth for, which was to take the sins of humanity on himself. To take death on himself. So that you didn't have to have it anymore. This isn't my as funny as some sermons. I know that. However, as we head toward Easter, I think this is a very important passage. It's one that doesn't, doesn't feel as appropriate to crack as many, many jokes in, if I'm going to be honest with you. Instead, it's one to me that deserves 
some quiet moments of serious contemplation. For those of us who believe who are Christians, it's contemplation in how, how do I today and tomorrow and the next day, how, how do I, as I, as I understand this just in another layer, because we understand this in layers as we, as we grow as followers of Jesus, how do I tomorrow, how does, how does the cross impact how I live and how I love and how I serve? And if there's anyone here today who's never taken that first step of faith in Jesus, this deserves serious contemplation because that's how much Jesus loves you and wants you to know him. Because we see Jesus on the cross breathing his last, and this Jesus on the cross is victorious. This Jesus accomplished everything that he came on earth for. And because of that, we can have new life, and the because of that, do you know that you can accomplish everything that God put you on earth for? Not everything that you want to do with your life, but we talk about Jesus' mission here at Element Church, that we are empowered by God's Spirit for Jesus' mission and for every purpose that God put you on earth. Just as Jesus was victorious on the cross, if you believe in him and you walk empowered by his Spirit, and you grow as a fully surrendered follower of Jesus, you can accomplish and be everything that God put you on earth to be, starting today, if you're willing to take the steps that you need to take. Because Jesus was victorious. Then it goes on, and it says, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. So, I'm going to give you just as quickly as I can a summary of what this means. In the old temple, in the Old Testament Jewish religion, there was a place where only the high priest could go called the Holy of Holies. When the priest went in there, they tied a rope around his leg because if he did it wrong, God could kill him. They'd have to drag out his body without going in there. Holy of Holies was serious. Where in the temple, the presence of God lived. And it had a 12-inch thick curtain in front of it. That's a beast of a curtain. And at the moment of Jesus' death, it tears in half, representing that that place, that presence of God, where only the high priest could go, was now accessible to everyone because of Jesus' victory over sin. God opens the way for all of us into his presence because of the death of his son. It's actually explained later in the book of Hebrews, because the, the gospel writers don't really explain this, they just say it. But in one of the letters to a church called Hebrews later in the New Testament, it explains this as, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the sanctuary by the blood of Jesus, by the fresh and living way that he inaugurated for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, talking about Jesus, let us draw near with a sincere heart. Saying that now the presence of God because Jesus, the great high priest, is available to all of us. Because that is there, let us draw near to God's presence because we can, and people couldn't before. People were blocked from the presence of God, but now because of Jesus, that thing that was far away is now near, and we can choose to be there, but so often we don't. But Jesus ripped the curtain then too so that we could have that presence. And how dumb are we when we reject that? How broken are we when we reject that, when Jesus wants 
to be near to us. Let us draw near with a sincere heart, not for selfish ambition, not for some vanity, but let us draw near because Jesus wants to know us and be present with us. So this passage closes with the centurion. And when the centurion who stood in front of Jesus saw how he died, he said, surely this man was the son of God. Centurion probably didn't even really know what he was saying. The few different ways that this is interpreted. But his statement kind of concludes the climax of the book of Mark, who wants us to each wrestle with the question, who was Jesus? Who is Jesus? What does it mean that he came? What does it mean that he died? What, is it, what does it mean that he claimed to be God's son? And we have this sort of dual representation of this, where you have the torn veil, which was Mark saying to Jewish people, hey, something happened here. And the centurion, which was Mark saying to everyone else outside of the Jewish community that, hey, there was something going on here with Jesus that you need to consider. That Jesus was forsaken so that you never have to be forsaken. Would you pray with me?